join me as we read the prayer for illumination together. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our reading this morning is from John 3, 1 through 15. This is what Holy Scripture says. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew a grin to the mountain by himself. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Colin. I want to start off with a bit of trivia for the kids this morning. Uh, kids, those of you who know, can you shout out to me the four Gospels? What are they, what are they called? Very good. Very good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now, there is one, only one, other than the resurrection, kids, there's only one miracle in all four accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's the one that we just read. The feeding of the 5,000. It's the one miracle of Jesus that's in all four Gospels. And so that alone, I think, should cause us uh, to take note of this story and, and wonder why. Why is this story so important? Uh, it starts off showing us that uh, Jesus was in the area of the Sea of Galilee. What we know is that he was in what is today called the Golan Heights, uh, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, the east, in the east, up in the hillside. That's where this miracle took place. We're told that a large crowd was following Jesus when he sat down with his disciples. Now, we're also told not only the location, but the time of year that this miracle took place. We're told in verse 4 that it, it was the Passover. Now, the Passover was the important festival feast celebration that the Jews celebrated each year. We're also told that when the crowd gathered, that Jesus told them to sit down. And, and John gives this interesting bit of uh, a detail that only John gives us, that there was much grass in this area. 
That's historically interesting because that would align with when the Passover was in this area of the world. Uh, if it was later in the year, the, uh, the heat and the dryness would have scorched any, any grass. But uh, in this time of year, there would have been grass if there would have been rain. And so this bit of detail shows us that John is giving us an historical account of what happened. Now, if you were a Jew at this point in time, uh, you grew up hearing the stories of your ancestors. And one of the stories you would have been very familiar with, especially during the Passover festival, uh, you would have known the story of the Exodus and Moses and how during the Exodus, Moses led God's people out from their slavery in Egypt. Now, as we read this story, and if you would have been there in that moment, you would have started making connections with what was happening. Here is a large group of people. We're told that it was 5,000 men. So that means there would have been actually women and children there as well. So we're, we're talking probably around ten to 15,000 people are in the crowd following Jesus. So it's Passover large group of people in a desolate area with nothing to eat. Are you starting to make the connections here? I think John wants us to. They, uh, the people in the crowd certainly did make these connections. What it brings to mind is the Exodus. It brings to mind Moses. It brings to mind the people in the desert who had nothing to eat. And as the story goes, God provided manna from heaven for the people to eat on a daily basis to sustain them. Now, what's interesting is if you were really familiar with your Old Testament, you also might have made another connection with another story, and that's the story of Elisha the prophet. Because in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha feeds a hundred men with 20 barley loaves of bread. And the story is very similar. There's this surprise, uh, how are we going to feed a hundred men with just this small amount of bread? And Elisha trusts God will provide. And yes, indeed, he provides and there's even bread left over. So as we read this story, we should start making connections. And the author, John, wants us to make those connections. In fact, he shows us that Jesus is doing something very significant here. Jesus is fulfilling and recreating images from Israel's sacred past. Jesus is acting like the great prophets from Israel's history, prophets like Moses and Elisha. And in fact, the people make these connections in our story in verse 14. They come to this conclusion, indeed, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. What they're quoting there is Deuteronomy, where Moses told Israel, God is going to send you a prophet who is going to take my place. In fact, he's going to be a greater prophet than I am. And so the people, having experienced this miracle of Jesus feeding them, Make that connection and say, wait a minute, this is the prophet Moses told us about. The one Moses prophesied about. But Jesus shows us here in the story that he's doing more than filling their stomachs. Jesus is in fact 
fulfilling their dreams and hopes. Because remember, this crowd of people, these thousands of people were living in an occupied homeland. The Romans were in charge. And so these people were longing for a second exodus, for freedom. And in fact, in verse 15, we see that the people wanted Jesus to fulfill that hope and dream. They perceived uh, then that they were about, or Jesus perceived that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king. You see, the people wanted Jesus to step into his role of not only the great prophet to come, but the great king to come and to lead Israel to their new freedom by conquering the Romans and sending them out. That's what the people wanted. They wanted Jesus to make a political statement here through this sign. To lead a second exodus. And think about the potential Jesus had. Jesus had an army of 5,000 men right there. Ready at his disposal. But Jesus didn't do that. Because Jesus did not... He did not want to be a political king. He wasn't uh, looking to overthrow the Romans. In fact, Jesus was telling his people, listen, the Romans are not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is your own heart. It's your own sin. It's your own self of ind- it's a sense of independence from God and refusal to give your lives to God. And Jesus was trying to point them to something greater, something deeper, something more significant. So let's look and see how this comes out in this story. Uh, If you go back to verses 5 to 7, Jesus sees the large crowd coming forward. And he asks Philip this question, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? And we're told that Jesus asks Philip this question to test him. Now what is Jesus testing Philip on here Jesus is asking Philip this question, how are these people going to survive? How are these people, who will take care of them? And poor Philip, he's put on the spot, isn't he? Uh, Philip is focused on the problem and is thinking practically. He says, you know, it would take 200 denarii, which was a very large sum, probably around $15,000, to feed this crowd. And so Philip is lost in the practical, material uh, ways to try to feed this group of people. And of course, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he also is thinking in those terms. He, He scours the crowd and all he can find is this boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, before you think a big loaf of bread, uh, I have a slide here. It gives you an idea of what this would have looked like. The fish would have been more like sardines. Uh, the barley loaves, which barley was the poorest bread. Uh, only the poor ate barley loaves. And so that's to signal the poverty of this crowd, really, and how meager and small this little meal was. This is all that they could find in this crowd of thousands of people. And, and so we can take this story and we can easily interpret it, seeing that Jesus takes this very meager resource and feeds thousands of people. And not only does everyone get a bite, but notice that everyone 
eats their fill. Notice Jesus abundantly and graciously and lavishly feeds his people. We're told in verses 12 and 13 that when they had eaten their fill, Jesus told them to gather up the leftovers, and they gathered up 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Jesus just gives and gives and gives through these meager means. And bread in this day was very precious. If you were a Jew in this time, you didn't see bread just as something to eat. Bread symbolized life itself. That's what you lived on. That, that's what sustained you and your family. Bread symbolized life in all its fullness. That's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And what Jesus was telling us is that God gives us what we need to live day by day, life itself. Now, what's interesting is Jesus makes this connection between this physical, material bread, <coughs> excuse me, and our deeper spiritual need and longing in verse 35. We didn't read this portion, but it's later on in the chapter. Jesus refers to himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So Jesus here is giving us a spiritual lesson here. He's saying that you may hunger for, for bread, physical bread that you eat, but what you really need is something deeper. You need spiritual life that only I can give you. So Jesus is making that connection for us in this story. You hunger for food, but really, what does your soul hunger for? I have come to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And I'm not here just to give you a little taste or to barely satisfy your deepest longings. I'm here to give you abundantly all that you need for life in all its fullness. That's what Jesus is teaching us here in this story. But here's the challenge for us in the 21st century. We as Americans, see, see I think in Jesus' day, these were people that knew what it mean, meant to be hungry. I mean, think, when was the last time you were really hungry? I mean, so hungry, you felt like your body was starting to, to wither. Few of us have been that hungry, maybe ever in our lives. In Jesus' day, these people knew what it was to really hunger. Today, we as Americans, we have more food available than we know what to do with, than any civilization in history. The people in this story, they knew what it meant to be dependent. We don't. We Americans waste an unbelievable amount of food. Our landfills, that's the biggest uh, waste that we have is food. 60 million tons of produce is thrown out a year. It's something like each family on average, I think, throws out $1,600 worth of produce each year. I read one account from a man who worked in a bakery department at a grocery store, and he, when he would work the closing shift, it was part of his job to take all the old baked goods that had, had lived out their shelf life and throw them into the trash compactor, he said some days he would fill 10 grocery carts full of breads, cakes, pies, donuts, you name it, and throw it out. This is the, this is the culture we live in. Our stomachs are stuffed. 
and yet our souls are starving. More and more research shows that there's never been a civilization that has so much, so many resources, so much food, so much material goods, and yet we are so depressed, so stressed, so anxious. Because we're trying to feed ourselves on things that only Jesus in a relationship with God can satisfy. That's why there's a disconnect. We're trying to fulfill our spiritual longings with a material solution. And so Jesus is asking you this morning, like he asked Philip, how are you going to feed yourself? How are you going to satisfy your deepest longings? Is it your career? Is it that new relationship that you're in? Maybe it's your kids' kids' accomplishments. I don't know about you guys, but here in Long Beach, our kids just got their grade card, great uh, report cards. And I have to be honest for a moment that, you know, when I read the comments about my kids, I can't help but read that as an evaluation of me. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever felt that, you know, the good and the bad. You read that about your kids and you think it's more a comment about you as a parent. Uh, I find myself living vicariously through my kids and how well they do. Ever felt that? That's me seeking to satisfy some sort of spiritual hunger and longing through my kids. And that's the challenge all of us deal with. And that's what this story is challenging all of us with. We are called to reorient and realign our spiritual hunger to Jesus You know, Philip's answer should have been to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know how we're going to feed these people, but I know that you're here, and so I'm not worried. You're going to take care of it. I think that's the answer Philip should have given. And that's the answer that Jesus is calling us to see this morning. This is one of the reasons why we celebrate regularly the Lord's Supper. Uh, We want to be reminded on a regular basis that we are spiritually hungry people who need to come back to Jesus time and time again. Have our hearts reoriented, realigned back to Christ. And so when we take this bread, this physical substance, and we eat it, we're reminding ourselves of our spiritual need our spiritual longing, and asking Jesus to meet it. Now, I think that's a very important core uh, principle that this story is trying to teach us. But I think there's another fascinating aspect to this story that I I want to uh, bring to your attention. (coughs) Sometimes, I think we can learn a lot from a story in Scripture when we consider the other possibilities of how Jesus, either what he might have said or what he might have done. So take this story, for example. Uh, Not only is Jesus showing us that he is our source of life and that he feeds us abundantly and lavishly, Jesus is also showing us how he feeds us. How he feeds us. How Jesus meets our needs. Uh, consider for, for a moment with me, how does Jesus feed this crowd? Have you ever thought about that? And how could he have done it differently? 
Scripture tells us that Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, created, was at the beginning, created all, all things were created through Christ, the living word, that Jesus was involved in creating out of nothing the universe. Now, read this story. Can you not help but wonder, why doesn't Jesus do the same thing here? Why does he not snap his fingers, presto, a buffet line of bread and fish? He could have done it that way. Why didn't he? What does he do? He took the lunch of a child and he multiplied it. He took the resources of the crowd and used that to feed hungry people. Now let's meditate on that for a moment. What are the implications for us as a church? How does Jesus feed us? Now several realizations need to happen this morning if you're going to let this story really begin to speak to you. I think first, we all need to see that we're spiritually hungry and that our greatest temptation is to seek to satisfy our hungry souls in the material world, in other things. We've already talked about that. That's the first major realization, I think, to really understand the story that you need to see. The second realization that I hope comes to you through this story is for you to, to, to discover and to see where and how Jesus will feed you. This story is telling you to look, I think, to your church family. Now, often we want to think about just me and Jesus in my closet. We want to think of spirituality in a very individualistic way. That's comfortable, that's easy. We prefer that. But I think Jesus here is challenging us to see that, in fact, it's your relationships within this community, your church family. It's the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. That is the people Jesus will use in your life to feed you. Certainly, hopefully, he will use me and others who bring God's word to you and teach you. Of course, he uses the sacraments like the Lord's Supper to feed you. But I think in a very real way, in a very true way, Jesus will feed you through the relationships, the Christ-centered relationships you will have with the people in this community, the people you're sitting next to, the people you're doing life with. So that means you have to put yourself into that community you have to take steps of faith and, and put yourself and make yourself available for Christ to feed you. You may want him to snap his fingers and satisfy your deep spiritual longings. And all the while, Jesus is saying, no, I am ready and willing to feed you. But you have to look within the crowd and see what resources you have at hand. And then allow me to use those. To feed your soul. 
I think that's a very important realization that all of us need to come to in, in seeing this story, seeing what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. But I also think there's a third and, and final point I want to make for, and hope for you to see. The third realization is that you're not only called to be fed by Jesus through this community, but you're also called to feed others. You're called to being like this child who had his lunch and gave it to Jesus to be used to feed the crowds. Now, Jesus tells us the secret of being a disciple is to be like what? A child. And here we have, it's fascinating, Jesus uses the lunch of this child to feed thousands of people. Now, when we think about it, there are often two barriers that keep us from being used by God. I think one of those barriers is we think our gifts and our resources are insignificant and meager and can't be used or do anything very meaningful. I know many of you are sitting out there today, and that's part of that's one of the barriers that blocks you from being used by Christ. As you think you don't have anything to offer, you think, well, who am I? Uh, Maybe your life is a mess. Maybe you don't feel like you have things together. Maybe you think, well, if I clean up my life and I get things in order, then yeah, then maybe God can use me. Or, Or maybe if I go to seminary and get trained, then God can use me. Or maybe if I, you know, whatever it might be, maybe I need to be older and then God can use me. And all the while, you're focused on yourself and you're not focused on Christ, the one who uses small, insignificant, broken, meager means to do miracles. And so maybe all he needs is for you to look past yourself and to see him and see how powerful he is to use even someone like you to feed the people around you, to meet those needs. Yesterday at the Women's Fellowship, Emily Parker shared uh, about her great aunt. And if if you're one of the women who were there, it was great to see the room full of women from our church spending time together. And if you were one of those women, you heard that encouraging story of Emily's great aunt. And it was so inspiring to me to hear these stories and to think about the ways that I can be an encouragement and inspiration like Emily's great aunt. And how you can as well. It was so encouraging to see that. It was just simply Emily opening up her life and sharing her story. Nothing more to it. Some of you may not realize that we we have a portable church. Right? All this stuff is set up each morning. And I'll be honest with you. We need people to step up and help with the setup team, with the breakdown team. We have five or six positions that need to be filled. That may seem like a small, insignificant thing, but it is huge, huge for us to be able to put on church to provide an environment for all of you to come and be fed. And, And I'm asking some of you to step into that need and be a part of that. Use your gifts. Let Jesus use you. No act of service, no sign of... Kindness is too small. It may be a hug, it may be a smile, it may be a follow-up text or email, it may be a phone call. No matter what it is, even if it's 
five small barley loaves and two little fish, Jesus can use it. But I will say this. I I will say that the second barrier that keeps you from being used by Christ is some of you are just selfish. (laughs) Some of you are too selfish. And I'm including myself in that camp. I, I, I admit and confess there are times when I'm too selfish to let Jesus use me. I hold on to my time. I hold on to my resources. I don't want to give those things over. And some of you are in the same boat with me. You're just too selfish. And so as we come into the time of the Lord's Supper, this is an opportunity, if you're selfish like me, if you're a person who is scared to be used by Jesus, he's calling us to come, not to hide from that, but to confess it. And to believe in the miracles he can use us for in feeding one another and being in community in relationship and being the church. So I invite you to join me this morning as we prepare our hearts to take the supper. And would ask you to just pray with me as we prepare. Lord, I thank you for this story. I thank you for what it teaches us. And I pray that as we contemplate our great and deep hunger for you, that you would remind us that you are present to feed us, to meet us, to provide for us, and that you have done so abundantly in the gospel through your life given for us and through your resurrection. And I pray that that would encourage us to come forward because, Lord, we are weak, broken people. (laughs) We feel like we have nothing to give. We are too busy, we are too stressed, we are too anxious, and we are too distracted. And as we come to receive and feed on you, Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to see the possibilities? Would you open our eyes to see the ways that we could, in fact, not only be fed, but to feed others? And would that inspire and encourage and challenge us Challenge us, Lord, today as we celebrate you in this meal. We pray in your name. Amen.